0: Welcome to Clarity Connects, where we talk about the human essence in brands, from branding, marketing, and business. I am your host, Tusef Mirza. Fundamentally, brands are created by human beings and for human beings. So understanding human attributes and having clarity on what genuinely connects with people is crucial. On this podcast, we will cover topics ranging from personal branding, corporate branding, leadership, team building, and marketing, all from a human perspective. We will also give ourselves the space for contemplation and explore ways to gain profitability while doing good simultaneously. Thank you for joining me, and now let's explore how Clarity Connects for creating true impact. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Clarity Connects podcast. Today, we are talking about empathy in the business world with my guest, Maria Ross. Maria is a brand strategist running a consultancy she founded called Red Slice, and she's the author of the book, The Empathy Edge, where she talks about harnessing the value of compassion as an engine for success. Welcome to the show, Maria. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, I'm excited to have you as well. Um, so, the reason why we're talking about empathy on the Clarity Connects podcast is because um, it's, it's really about the human essence and brands that this podcast is about. And I am such a firm believer that you have to have the human element in business in order for it to succeed. And one of the biggest attributes from a human perspective is empathy. So I think it's a very important topic to talk about when we, when we relate to business and brands and also teams. So before we begin, I have to just say how me and Maria met. So it was last year in 2019, I saw Maria speak at the 3% conference, which is an awesome conference. It was in Chicago. And when Maria was talking, I was just dumbfounded because I felt like we were sharing the same brain. And what I absolutely love, Maria, of what you talk about is the fact that you're looking at business in a holistic way. You're looking at business not just from an outputs standpoint, but really looking at it from a leadership standpoint, and a team standpoint, and a brand standpoint. And I actually created, uh, we did it for two years, the Core Connect conference of how to make marketing more human. And it was literally the same pillar. So that's why it blew my mind. So I was like, okay, I definitely need to speak to this woman. So I'm super excited (laughs) to have you today. So let's begin from the foundation um, in terms of even the word empathy. Um, empathy, I feel, since the past uh, few years, especially right now in 2020, has become sort of a buzzword. But how would you define empathy?
1: It's interesting. The definition of empathy, even the the dictionary definition of empathy, has changed over time. And Mm. psychology and, and brain science now leads us to this this definition of empathy that's more comfortable for people when talking about it in context of work. So it used to be that we only used to think of empathy in terms of literally feeling what someone else was feeling, like a husband having labor pains because his Mm. wife is having a baby, right? right? Feeling those labor pains. But there's actually two branches of empathy. There's affective empathy, which is that, feeling what someone else is feeling. But there's also cognitive empathy. And that's that's more modern, this idea of you can have empathy for somebody by understanding their point of view and and seeing things from their side and feeling like you're walking in their shoes. So it's much more of a mental, cognitive, imagination exercise. And that's the kind of empathy we're really talking about in the context of business. So for the purpose of the book, how I defined it was that empathy is a is a way of seeing and and understanding someone else's point of view and mindset Mm. and further using that information to then take action. So for me, the compassion part is is empathy in action. Mm. And empathy is less of a feeling and more of a way of taking perspective. Would you say that
0: empathy is something that a person is born with, or is it something that is a learned skill?
1: It's both and, right? So science has shown us that humans are born with an innate sense of empathy. It's how our species has survived over time to collaborate and to understand each other. For the majority of us, we are born with it. And what happens is some of us are in environments, whether in our family or in our work environment, where empathy is rewarded, it's modeled, it's fostered, it's acknowledged. And so the muscle of empathy remains strong. Mm. It's sort of like going to the gym every day. For others, they've been lacking that in their environment. Again, it could be from when they were children, it could be just being, you know, having it beat out of them in a toxic work environment. (laughs) And they realize that that's not the way to find success here, wherever here is. And so the muscle has atrophied. So they mm. are used to protecting their turf, only thinking about their wants and needs because out of fear or out of you know, being in danger or whatever it is. And so they've lost that ability to reconnect and try to imagine what another person's point of view is.
0: So the point is really to that the kernel is there in all of us. And it's a question of how it flourishes or how it's been tampered with. And and therefore, we're we're not evolving as maybe somebody else who has more empathy. So in terms of the different terminologies, um, we have the word empathy. And then we also have the word sympathy. And then we can also have the word of just understanding somebody else. So how do you differentiate those
1: terms? Sympathy is more about um, there's an element of pity to sympathy or feeling sorry for someone, uh, but, I, but I don't that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm seeing things from your point of view. Mm-hmm. For example, if someone loses a spouse or loses a family member, you can have sympathy for them because you're like, wow, I'm so sorry for this tragic situation you're in, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're seeing their point of view. So that's mm. that's the nuance of empathy. It's not about it, could be you know, really understanding. Understanding why someone's excited about something, really understanding what motivates someone, really understanding how they're seeing a certain situation—even if it's potentially a neutral situation—you might go, "Oh, I can see how that person might might see that." So, a great like colloquial definition that I got from one of the people I interviewed in the book was that um, sympathy is more about like you standing in front of me and I'm having having a reaction to like you here empathy kind of appreciates the context and the journey of how you got here. Mm. So um, I, I I kind of hold fast to that because you can have sympathy for someone that you don't understand at all.
0: Right. Right. So if you understand the person more, then you can maybe help them do something about it, right? Because you're understanding where they're coming from versus sympathy, which is your, which is also, you know, being sympathetic to somebody is is so lovely and needed, right? So, so we're not saying that being sympathetic is, you know, not the end all be all. Like we all need that um, when we're really low or, or suffering. Um, but, but empathy, that's how it's different. So, so, the first part of the question was also the difference between understanding, so empathy is about understanding, but a little bit more with like going through that journey with that person versus just cognitively
1: I think empathy leads to understanding okay. that 's how I, I see th- those are those are two different things, and so like I, I think empathy leads to a deeper understanding of why someone feels the way they feel or why they are viewing the situation the way they view it, which is Again, what we're talking about very important, important in a work context.
0: Mm-hmm. So um, I wanted to sw- switch gears a little bit. I love that in your book you talk a little bit about the history of corporate America, uh, namely um, the economist Milton Friedman. Um, in the ni- in the nineteen eighties, he said, and I quote, "A company's sole social responsibility." is to make money for its owners without breaking the law. And now, 30 years later, we talk about conscious capitalism, we talk about corporate social responsibility in a much more broad and meaningful way. So what do you think has happened? What is your perspective in terms of that evolution in just 30 years of how the like public companies, for-profit companies, how that is changing.
1: Well, yeah, it's really interesting because um, that's part of the whole mission with the book is to flip that idea of what success means and to show that, that compassion and being competitive in your market is not mutually exclusive. And so, like you said, for a long time, there's been this idea that business should just be about making money, that's the, that that's the only measure of success the Business Roundtable, which is the organization that's um, the CEOs of the largest companies in the U.S., they get together, they, cr- they created this Business Roundtable. They get together every year, they talk about sort of the state of capitalism, the state of for-profit success, et cetera, et cetera. They actually change their mission statement mm-hmm. to not be shareholders, but to say the word stakeholders, to be responsible for all stakeholders because of this movement, because of exactly what you're talking about, that it's not just about the profit, it's about employees, community, the world, social responsibility, all of this. And it seems like such a trivial thing that they changed like one or two words in their mission statement. But it's it's part of this, tr- this movement towards we need to have a better definition of success in corporate America. And I think there's a few things that have led to that. Number one is um, from a very tactical standpoint, the idea of storytelling and engaging your your customer, whatever, B2B, B2C, on an emotional level is now viewed as the way to connect with them and ensure that you do sell and you do generate revenue and you do generate interest. Um, So looking at people in a much more human way, regardless of what you sell. There's also that um, the incoming generations, whether talent or consumer, millennials, Gen Z, this is the kind of behavior they're demanding. They're more socially conscious, they're more diverse, they have a more global point of view, and they are now demanding of workplaces and companies that they be responsible and human. And the the impact of that is that the top talent on the talent side, they won't go work for companies that are not acting in this way. And so that's a that's an innovation pool that those companies will miss out on and eventually die because of. Number two, as consumers, they are speaking with their wallets, mm-hmm. and there's even re- recent research from what's been going on with. COVID and the crisis we're in right now that shows that the way brands are acting right now is impacting those generations' buying decisions and whether they like or dislike those brands more because of how they've been behaving during this crisis. And then thirdly, I think also, the which seems counterintuitive, is the movement towards more technology, AI, machine learning. It seems counterintuitive that that move would mean that empathy is is being talked about more. But the fact is, when you start to automate all these tasks that are easily automated, the only differentiation is what you have as a human being that can't be replicated by a machine. So those people and those leaders and those organizations that excel at empathy, collaboration, communication, all the things the machines can't do, they're actually going to be able to one-up because technology is going to even the playing field for so many. So what's the differentiating factor? It's how you excel at the human qualities Mm -hmm. required to move forward. So kind of a perfect storm of all these things. I think we're just, we're entering this era of a more conscious consumer and a more conscious employee. Mm -hmm. And um, they're not, they're forcing the conversation. They're forcing companies to change if they haven't already.
0: So I, I really like what you had to say about technology Because I think, you know, this is being recorded in May 2020 and we're in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. And we are so inundated with technology right now because this is the way that we work. And I think that um, because we are forced to be in this new world right now, we are recognizing just so much how we need to be around other human beings and not just through a screen. Um, I wanted to now go and actually get more specific in the three main categories that you talk about in the book when it comes to empathy, which is about uh, leader, culture, and brand. So in terms of leader, uh, what does an empathetic leader mean to you?
1: Well, it's interesting just to, just to give context to this. I mean, and as with your work too, as a brand strategist, even when I was working, even when I'm working with brand strategy, it's all about starting from the inside out. And so this, this can't be something where we say, Oh, we want to be an empathetic company. So get marketing on that. Like right. up some cool ad campaigns or whatever. It can't be that veneer or those optics. It has to be genuine and deep and embedded. And it's, it's like a, it's like a, interlocking circle that ripples out. So it starts with individual humans behaving, right? Which the leaders or the individuals, and then ripple out into the culture or the environment that they create, and then ultimately ripple out so it's believable when it's presented to the market. See, right? this
0: is where you and I share the same brain. Right? I know, we like, do. Please share continue.
1: <laughs> but um, yeah, so empathetic leadership is about being present, being understanding, being thoughtful, um, it doesn't mean you're not competitive. It doesn't mean you're weak. Um, there's definitely, you know, when we talked about the definition of empathy earlier, what empathy is not is it's not just being nice. It's not caving in because that's acquiescence. Those are different things. Again, if we go back to empathy is a method of perspective taking. Mm-hmm. Is the leader someone who understands others' point of view? Does does that does he or she understand? where people are and what they need to hear at a given time. Did they understand what motivates those other people and how to get the best work out of them so those people can thrive in that environment? So I think we can all relate to toxic work environments where we may have had a leader that we, we don't, we, maybe we didn't call it that back then, but we definitely didn't think they were very empathetic. We didn't think they were caring and it showed up in the work output of mm-hmm because the team didn't feel safe. The team didn't feel seen, heard, or listened to. And when you're in that environment, you're in protection mode. You're not innovating. You're not doing your best work.
0: Mm-hmm. You're
1: not producing for the company. So it's, it's a, again, kind of going back to what you and I've talked about, it's a bottom line issue of right. how, how well can people perform in the environment we're creating for them mm-hmm. so that we can outperform in the market.
0: So I think uh, one thing, you know, when we talk about um, being a leader that is empathetic, I also feel that you can apply that not just necessarily to the CEO of the company or the head of a department, but it's a leadership mindset, right? And you can, each individual can actually um, embody that and actually work with anybody that way and, and you know, just have a, a better relationship, better work together and outputs and so
1: forth. For sure. I mean, that's the thing is if you are an empathetic person or if you're, if you're a person who flexes that empathy muscle, you're going to be a star in your company. You're going to be a better collaborator, a better communicator. You're going to get projects done. Mm-hmm. And you are going to be that model of like, wow, she's killing it. And she's, how does she do it? Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, she's actually a really good listener and she actually understands people's point of view and she is curious and asks questions and doesn't just come in like a bull in a china shop of like, this is how I want to get things done. And that can happen at any level of the organization. Um, it's helpful when someone is a leader and modeling that for their team, because then they're Absolutely. giving their team permission, permission to act that way and go, okay, I, I see how success is done here.
0: Mm-hmm. I think it's really important to talk about this point because empathy can sometimes be looked at as, as a soft skill. And, you know, being in, in industry for a long time now, I've realized that there's nothing soft about soft skills.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly what you said. I mean, Google, which was a company founded on the most hard skills ever, like they used to only hire people that had computer science degrees because they thought, only those people could be good technologists. And they did two famous studies now about what made their team successful, and they proved themselves wrong. So there was a project called Project Oxygen years ago where they looked at the hiring, firing, and promotion data of anyone who'd ever been hired, fired, or promoted at Google since its inception. And they found that it wasn't necessarily – the people that led with the technical proficiencies that did well. It was the people that led with soft skills. They were very high in collaboration, communication, because it enabled them to actually get something done. Mm-hmm. So you could be a genius, but if you're never able to implement your ideas <laughs> or get them to happen, then it, you know, we got to go beyond that resume and look at that.
0: You know, I, I teach a, a class at NYU, in um, personal branding. And that's one thing I always tell the students. I say, you know, like you take all these classes in technical skills, which is very important. And also, you know how to problem solve in a, in a creative way and come up with solutions. But it's not enough just to come up with this amazing idea. Then you have to be able to communicate it, but in a way to communicate that the other person is going to understand it. So you have to look at it from their perspective, not just from your perspective. And that's where empathy comes from, is to be able to understand where the other person is coming from so you can make that link and you can, you can influence accordingly. In terms of culture, what does an empathetic culture mean for you?
1: Yeah, an empathetic culture is one that does more than just put a poster on the wall that says, we're empathetic, or it's like a value written on their website. They actually have to walk the talk. And what that means is, how has the culture operationalized empathy? Mm -hmm. Meaning, how is it monitored? How is it acknowledged? How is it rewarded? How is it modeled? Right? And so all of those things can be policy decisions that make it make it easier for people to default to an empathetic frame of mind. Some companies call it service. Some call it humility. Some call it like Airbnb mm-hmm. calls it belonging.
0: Mm-hmm. But it's
1: it's all in the same vein of it's not about you, just you. It's about someone else as well. And these many of the companies that do this well, like Airbnb, mm-hmm. like Kronos, like NextJump, like REI, they have policy decisions that are, that are putting their money where their mouth is about empathy. So
0: I really resonated with this one part in the book where you were talking, and I say this all the time also, is that especially in creative agencies and marketing agencies that I've worked uh, a lot in, they want to be creative, but they don't create the space for a creative environment. So they don't create a space that is safe. They don't create a a space that is nurturing. Um, And it's it's so important because that's their differentiating factor. That's the differentiating factor for for startups. If they don't, if they are not innovative, they can't differentiate themselves in the market and then
1: c'est fini, you know, that's it. I think that's the biggest thing about when you look at leaders who are empathetic and some of the, the people i profiled in the book these are people that they're they're humble but they're confident mm. and that confidence means they're not they're not acting out of fear there's a sense of grounding about them like you often hear that word about why someone's a successful leader like they're very grounded and it doesn't mean they're not you know crazy energetic or they talk a mile a minute it's just there's something about that inner confidence that that's why if you if you lack that inner confidence you're always going to act out of fear and arrogance and obstinance and whatever and that leaves no room for being able to see someone's point of view but if you have the confidence and you're grounded and you create an environment that rewards people and helps them quite frankly be more grounded you know maybe that has to do with some of the mental health resources that they provide as a company but if you help people get to that state they're more open they're they're calmer they can be more creative they can unleash that creativity you're talking about because there's no I'm not worried about my job I'm not worried about how this will look I'm not worried about like being judged being judged or that like this idea is going to flop and then Pete's going to take my job. And then, you know, like (laughs) it's just an environment of like, let's try it. And the funny thing that you said about when you talked about startups is so many startups start out that way and then even they get overly ingrained in how they're doing things. And so they sort of need a reality check as they scale and they get bigger to remember their roots and remember what got them to success in the first place.
0: Yeah, one of the issues also is people start drinking their own Kool-Aid and then they just they just
1: they just live in their little peripheral
0: world and that's it. But there's there's a whole other world out there to be tapped into.
1: And they say they understand the customer but they really don't because now they're in their own little ivory tower that they've built.
0: Exactly. Right. You know what I'm talking about. We know what we're talking about. I hear about. you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the third category, um, which is the brand aspect of empathy. Can you just give us a little bit of a definition of what that means for you?
1: Yeah, it's funny because I spoke to, um, marketing expert Jay Baer and he said, I don't think a company can ever be empathetic because a company is just a collection of people. Hmm. So you have to have the right collection of people and create the right environment in order for the brand to be perceived as empathetic. And that's, that's kind of the, the little trick to that one is that, and, and again, why you can't just paint a coat of brand paint over your business or, you know, just do some really cool marketing activities once or twice and everyone will think you're empathetic. It has to be genuine because it's ultimately about the actions of the individual people that work there. And how they engage customers and how they connect with customers. The companies are usually very aligned on mission. So everyone in the company knows which direction they're rowing in and why they're there and what their purpose is. It's that, it's that emotional connection you have with a brand that often is a mark of they've, they've hit the nail on the head and they're very empathetic. And then again, as I was saying earlier with some of the incoming consumer generations, they actually care about how you're treating your employees. So they don't just care about how cool your products or services are. They care about how you're treating the supply chain. They care about how you're treating your, your partners and your employees. And so if you are genuinely empathetic throughout everything you do, that's what's going to help make your brand empathetic. This, it's idea of like consistency so that when, when something does go wrong, it's an outlier. It's not the norm
0: so i think you know as as we're talking through this episode one thing that i feel is is really coming through in terms of a word when we talk about empathy is that it needs to come from a genuine place right it, it from a leader perspective from a from a culture perspective and from a customer like you have to actually really genuinely care it's not sort of like okay i'm going to be empathetic now it has to be something that you 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 feel, and you care, and being a good human, and that's sort of like the starting place of creating an empathetic environment.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've seen, we're seeing a lot of examples right now as, you know, we record this in the midst of the COVID pandemic, but a lot of companies, the the empathetic brands that are showing up will be remembered coming out of this, and, you know, Everyone has been pointing to Zoom as a great example of how they've responded, how they've offered their services for free to K through 12 schools. Um, but that just didn't happen. That wasn't, to your point, it's about intention, right? It, it wasn't a bunch of people in a boardroom sitting around going like, how can we look empathetic right now? That's contrived empathy. But mm-hmm. it started with the whole reason the founder, Eric, founded the company was because he didn't feel where he was before was empathetic enough to the needs of customers. So he started Zoom. So here's the founder from day one going, we we need to better serve customers. This is what their life is like. This is what they need. And that leadership philosophy permeates the company. So that when it comes time to make a decision that puts them in the spotlight, like this pandemic, that didn't just happen. It was, it was a foundation that was laid long ago.
0: Um, great. So I just want to have your opinion in terms of empathy as it pertains to men and women.
1: Yeah. So I didn't really go down that rabbit hole with the book and it was partially by design because mm-hmm. um, I am, obviously science has shown empathy is a human trait. And Man or woman, you are born with the capacity and the ability to be empathetic. And I think too often we get into these things about, well, women, are, women leaders are better at this and male leaders are better at that.
0: And I think, I think it's because empathy is still thought of as a soft skill, right? As an emotional skill. And therefore, people have a tendency to attribute it more to women.
1: Yes, yes. I did speak with experts who study and, and write about women leaders and one of them, Carol Valone Mitchell, who wrote a book called Breaking Beyond Bitch, which is a great book about <laughs> female leaders and their personas and, and what, they, what they fight against. I asked her if she had come across any research that showed that women are more empathetic than men. And she said she hadn't. But okay. what was interesting was that the successful women leaders that she has profiled will often cite... That empathy and collaboration are a big reason why they became successful. So Mm -hmm. not necessarily that they were more empathetic than their male counterparts, but they were very aware that that ability was what got them to success. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so that's hopeful to me because then if a man can show that capability, they can be successful too. Mm -hmm. So if that's... Looking at it more as a success trait rather than a male or a, f- a masculine or a feminine trait is what appeals to me. And I spoke to a lot of male executives and leaders for the book who, who were so glad I wasn't writing it from the angle of like, this is a feminine skill, even though some agents wanted me to do that because um, they said this, then no one would, none of the guys I know that need to read this would read it if that's what it was about.
0: So I wanted to, um, conclude with a quote, um, from actually Barack Obama. And he said, learning to stand in somebody else's shoes to see through their eyes. That's how peace begins. Empathy is a quality of character that can change the world. And I, I thought about that quote. It's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful saying And what I realize, you know, when we talk about empathy and and what it means is when you're able to understand another person, when you're able to, like he says, walk in someone else's shoes, I think it is at that point that we realize that we are more similar than different. And if we are more similar than different, then it means that we are all from the same human species and we are all going through hard times and we're going through victories and we're going through challenges and we're going through things that we love. And it's by understanding all of that, that we are, we are the same that we can start to care for each other in a more meaningful way, because you're not separate from me. You're actually like me. And, empathy has that potential of radical transformation. That's where it begins. So I really love this, this quote that he I said. I love that.
1: I mean, the whole thing, mind, common ground is huge. Uh, you are empathetic and you take the time to learn about another person's point of view and why they think the way they think. Again, it's not about agreement because you can disagree with somebody, but you can go, I still disagree with you, but I, I see why you think that way. Or I can understand what got you to that opinion. And that's when you can start to then think about, well, wh- where do we have common ground that we can start to build off of? Right, right.
0: As I, as I respect you, I agree, to, I agree that we disagree, but I appreciate your input and I understand where you're coming from. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. At the end of every episode, I ask my guests to uh, share with us a clarity moment because it is called the Clarity Connects podcast. And this can be something that can be from a personal perspective or a professional perspective. It can be about something we talked about or not. So um, if you may, uh, Maria, is there a clarity moment you would like to share with the listeners? I think
1: so. I think... Um- it it happened within the last year because my book came out in October of 2019, but really it was like leading into that moment. Um, I've written other books before and I've done, I've gone through some adversity, but the idea, when I had this idea for this book in 2016, it was so far away in my mind. It didn't have a shape. It didn't have, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to do all this research. I'm going to have to, and I had this as, as I went through that journey and at the steps where I was like, this book is never going to get written. Like There were definitely those moments where I was like, I've been talking this up and I found help to get me through whatever the obstacle was. So the, the clarity there was about you can do hard things, just start. And then when you hit the wall, be very specific about what help you need to scale that wall versus not starting at all because you're imagining all these walls that are out there. And that's overwhelming. That can be like, oh, I can't do this and I can't do that. It's like, just start the journey, take the one step and don't be afraid to ask for help at those moments that you need it. It's, it's sort of like whatever you need to do. And I, I've often said this from personal experiences that I had in the past is that asking for help is a sign of strength not weakness, because when you ask for help, it shows that you're resourceful, that you know what you need, that you're not going to give up, that you're going to find a way around it to still get to your goal. And so, um,
0: and usually people love to help, also,
1: and people love to help, right? So it's, but it's also like understanding what is it you need. Like just to give a concrete example, there was a point like six months or a year into the six months into the writing of this, and I was like. I'm not finding the time for this because I don't have a compelling event. I don't have somebody like giving me a deadline. So I, I knew that I knew that's what was happening where I didn't like write anything in the book for like a year or two. So I was like, okay, what do I need? I need someone to hold me accountable. So I hired a coach that actually became my coach editor. And then as I was writing, I was like, oh, but you know, there's no there's not any publishers interested in it yet. And I was like, okay, I gotta focus on getting the publisher so that I have a deadline. So it's like I was able to identify what those steps were and what those barriers were. Um and that was my clarity that that was those were big clarity moments for me because then when the book was born and it was there and it was something I could hold in my hands, it was like yeah, that you have to, there's nobody does this stuff alone. So Mm. I guess that's kind of the clarity moment is that you don't have to go it alone. And your, your goal is never just your goal. It's a, it's a combination of all these people contributing to that goal Mm. and helping you make it happen.
0: I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that because i think a lot of times people you know like for example in this case your book they will see your book and they'll say oh she's an she's an author and i'll never be an author but it's a, it's it's so important to look behind the curtain and actually see the trials and tribulations and we all go through that and that if you know if you went through that and were able to you know take it step by step like you said and 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 ask for help then you know other people can also like shoot for their dreams. So thank you for sharing that.
1: Because people have stories to tell, right? We want to yes, hear them. So absolutely.
0: <laughs> so how can uh, listeners know more about you? Where can they find you?
1: They can go to my main site, red slicecom and um, would love for them to sign up for um, my mailing list. I know I also have a little freebie for your listeners in particular. I know you'll share that awesome. in the awesome notes. Yes. Um, and they can find me on the socials. I'm on Instagram, Red Slice Maria. I'm on LinkedIn, Maria J. Ross. It just, I just asked that people, if people connect with me on LinkedIn, they mention this podcast in their introduction note. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Red Slice and I do blog regularly and have a newsletter. So, um, that's how people can get in touch with me.
0: Thank you so much, Maria. This was so fun to finally talk really in depth about our shared brains about uh, (laughs) branding and empathy and, and, and just being a good human at the end of the day and caring for each other. And thank you to all the listeners, and I hope to talk to you soon. À bientôt. Thank you.